Hey everyone, welcome back to the Improv TX Comedy Network. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give the Improv TX Comedy Network a like. And just a reminder, the Improv TX Comedy Network is live on YouTube with all your favorite comedians on the Improv stage. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Act Out from Open Mic to the Big Stage. Comedians tell us how stories were made. Today I'm super excited. I have a very special guest. This guy always kills it on stage. He's very sarcastic and is I don't know if that's the right word, sarcastic kind of in your approach, but it's hysterical, dude. Thank you. And you're I don't know, you have this gentle nature about you, but at the same time, you say some of the harshest I've ever heard. So it's a wonderful combination. You just released your album recently. Crockpots are amazing. Today we have Ryan Perio. Ryan, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, another word I would use is cynical because that's that's kind of how I, I was raised. That comes from me and my mother. Like that's our conversations is we're both cynical people. So we would just go back and forth on each other and kind of we'd basically roast <laughs> each other constantly. So, so we'll get into it. I, I'm curious about that. But how long have you been doing comedy? I have been doing stand-ups for 16 years. I started in very end of the summer in 2006. 2006. Wow, 16 years. Mm-hmm. And it's been quite a journey, you said. It has, because you don't realize how much work goes in. It's not just going to mics and stuff. It's internal work and just kind of looking at yourself and things of that nature and kind of basically having your ego just completely sometimes just obliterated. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you you have a very unique personality on stage, and your tone and inflection is 100% you. And I was listening to your special today, losing it. Everyone go listen to it. It's hysterical. You can find it on YouTube. Yes, I put it on CD, baby, but we're, Apple Music and Spotify <laughs> still don't show it. Amazon Music does, uh, so I've kind of looked around. I, I put it myself on YouTube because I was like, I don't think they're going to release the whole special in its entirety. So I put that on my YouTube, which is what I linked to. Uh, that was recorded at Hyenas, is that right? Yes. So yeah, the special, go check that out. I want to talk about what were you like growing up? Were you the funny kid or were you shy or how were you? I was the only kid. I'm an only child. Uh, I grew up with a a family that basically just works hard. Like my work ethic comes from my mom and my dad. They've never really had what I would call glamorous positions, but they would just put their heads down and work. Like my dad started at, I would say the bank was first city and he was like, he would count coins and stuff for the bank. And then he moved all the way up to when he was at vault services, when Chase, Chase took over from Texas Commerce, which took over for a city. And, I mean, he was there, I would say, probably since I was, like, 11 or 12 years old, like, until I was, until 2017. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Same job the whole time. So you... Same job, but he just kept getting elevated. So he yeah. became, like, a director and stuff like that. But he just, he stayed at that same company. So I've kind of done the same thing. My mom also has just been a legal secretary, a legal aide, does you know, court-related legal stuff. She will do stuff for like ERISA benefits and things of that nature, which is benefits for like people that are on, on welfare and stuff like that. And so kind of like workaholics then a little bit. Yes. Just hardworking people. Hardworking because they, you know, have to raise a child. And... Yeah. Yeah. So what was your childhood like? Was it fun or were you more like... I was a solitary kid. So, so... for the most part, I would, I would be in my room. I would crave solitude. Like there were times I'd love to hang and stuff, but like sometimes I just wanted to just be alone. I still do. Like, I still, you know, kind of crave that, like, oh. You're you know, an introvert. People. Yeah. 
Okay. I would say I'm an introvert. I just that's just how I've always been. It's it's nothing that like I feel like it's good or bad. It's just like sometimes you just crave just being alone with your thoughts and everything else and not having an outside I guess stressor. Yeah, I agree with you. And when you say that, I recognize that because I have high anxiety and I love being an introvert. Like I love being in my space, being left alone, no one bothering me and my thoughts, like you said. But then I'm also extrovert where I can want to go out and talk to people. So you were kind of introvert your whole life. How did you find comedy? What, what, what was like the opening door to that? So the opening door for that when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. So when I started, like I would say I was like 13 or 14, my weekends were I would just have a ritual of watching all night TV. Like I would sleep late. I would wake up at like 11 a.m. And then while my mom went out and had her fun and stuff like that, I would stay up late and just watch a combination of a bunch of different things. Like I would start. I would say about 9 p.m. I would turn on A&E, which was a cable channel that didn't – it may still exist. I don't know if A&E <laughs> has been bought by Discovery or has become Discovery weird people. But it was it was a performing arts channel, so they would have a lot of ballet by day, like orchestra. But at night, they would have a show based around this club called An Evening at the Improv. And it was like a 30-minute to maybe an hour show where they would just take other comics that performed at either the Los Angeles or the New York Improv, and they would just videotape it. So you would see Paula Poundstone, you would see all these comedic, you know, great comics from, like, the early, like, the glory days of stand-up in the 80s and 90s that people left at Bill Hicks, things like that, and you would just, I would start there. Then after that, there would be probably wrestling you know, they would replay, like, the wrestling on Fox. So you would jump over there for an hour, and that yeah. would be in the Sportatorium wrestling. And then after that, it would be around 9 or 10 o'clock. You would jump to some other comedy show or something like that. And then at 11 or so at night, the highlight of the evening, it would be USA up all night. And they would show B-real movies, like, things <laughs> that we don't see anymore are the B-movies. I feel like that's... That's an era of, of my generation that just kind of, like, just the terrible, like, you know it's going to be bad, but you it's for a laugh because it's so terrible. Like, right. as a horror movie fan, you've probably <laughs> seen a lot, a lot of the ridiculously cheesy, classy slasher. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And those, some of, those are some of the best movies, too, because yeah. they're just popcorn films. They're just yeah. fun and terrible. And then people are acting horrible, and you're just like, I love how they read that line. You know, yeah. it's fun. And so we, I would watch those, and so they would be either like a cheesy horror flick or it would be like a cheesy, like, teenage, 80s, you know, American Pie-esque, like, coming of age, like, oh, we're... we're. <laughs> the movies destroyed a generation. Mm -hmm. Objectify women, everyone. That's the way to go. So that kind of played into, like, your, your comedy. Though. Yeah. So when did you decide that you wanted to be a comic and actually pursue it? So... I dabbled in it because I was really smart, and I was able to, it, during Y2K, I was able to get in the ground floor in tech support and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, I got in the ground floor at a huge phone company with DSL, and, and that was the first idea of broadband internet when we first moved off dial-up to broadband. And since I got in the ground floor there, I moved through the company really quickly. I was young. I was really smart. I was I could figure things out on, on there. So I was, for someone that had no college degree, I was way high up in, in the chain. But I didn't realize in my youth that I would be, I could be, uh, I guess, what you would call taken advantage. Like, they just, they, they, if they wanted you fired, I didn't, I never realized how 
easy it is to lose a job because I'm right. I'm doing so good. Why would anybody want to fire me? They'll you know if they have a problem with me, they'll talk to me. And I found out I wasn't. But while oh, I was wow. there, they had a huge printed out like a fifty page document from a New York comic. I don't know remember who his name was, but he had just put on there how to be a stand up comic. And it was a long document of things you need to go to these open mics, do this every open mic, do these jokes, and then when this joke doesn't work and stuff. So it was a very interesting long read. And so I picked that up, you know, thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to try that at some point. I want to try stand-up. I didn't know if that would require me to go to New York. I was like, you know, I will travel to New York and that'll be my thing is I'll go to New York and try stand-up in New York. Well, just doors will open. But so, wait, you you found this on accident? Like you were looking for... I was just looking at comedy and stuff because I was like, you know, I really enjoy comedy. And so I found this document and I printed it out and I read it. I skimmed through it. So how did you end up finding the open mics here then? Seeing as, you know, you were just kind of like... I'm not sure how to do this. I got to go to New York. Yeah. So after I got fired from there, I was traumatized and I worked at a contract job that was barely made ends meet, but it, it provided rent and things. So I worked there and while I worked there, they ended up packing everything up and saying, hey, if you want to stay with us, we got to remove into Victoria, Texas and you'll make $9 an hour or you've got to find a new job. I was like, well, I'm going to find a new job. From there, I moved to a company that worked nights. And so... When I left that job that was going to Victoria, Texas, because I thought, okay, this is another ground floor technology porting cell phone numbers. This is going to be the wave of the future. If I can master this, then I'll have a niche employment for a while. I literally had a panic attack and just sat there and was like, what do you really want to do? And the idea of going back to college as somebody now in 2002, 2003, as a almost 30-year-old, thinking I'll be 35, 40 when I get out of college. Until then, I'm going to struggle to find anything (laughs) right and i started thinking you know i want to do i've always wanted to try stand up and so from there i walked over to barnes and noble bought judy carter's comedy bible and stand-up comedy both of her books and while i worked at this tv uh company where i sent commercials to tv stations overnight i would listen to comedy radio constantly that's all i would listen to is like and when because we, we just now had gotten internet radio this was like the dawn of internet radio bob and tom all these different radio stations and i would listen just to stand up over and over and i just started looking up open mics and the first one i found was backdoor and very so I was like, nice and so yeah. i was like i'll i'll do backdoor at some point but then i realized it's like oh all these open mics are at seven or eight and, and i work 6 p.m to 3 a.m oh no so there's no way then in a moment of weakness i got angry and lost my job there (laughs) and so after that i was like well this is a sign i should try it because at that point they had also dane cook's tourgasm and things like that on there and honestly the day i got fired i actually had a dream because i had been watching like dane cook's tourgasm which has robert kelly on it and gary goldman who at the time Dan Cook made look like these guys are just like Robert was an, an old wily vet at that point, and they make Gary Goldman look like this new kid that had never, you know, that's is trying to be famous, and they just kind of felt like it, just like they, you know, kind of didn't think he would. And, like you always felt like this doubt, like Gary Goldman, like he just never to see where he was there and and now it's right. so night and day. But it was just an interesting, interesting watch, and so I had a dream. And I literally was performing stand-up that I hadn't, like, and it was, like, in a dark room, and I was on stage. It wasn't good jokes, but because in a dream you have really, really, <laughs> really the slim dialogue. Like, I was just there, and, like, I was getting applause, and I woke up, and 
I think one of Dane Cook, like there was a, a phrase in that show or something that, you know, you got to do this or something. And that's, that's, that stuck in my head as I, as I woke up. And so I wake up, I go to work, I get called in the office and they're like, we're going to have to let you go. And so I walked out and I was like, okay, this is a sign that I have to do it. And that was in May. And so I had a DWI at the same time. So I was afraid to drive. And my friend was on a motorcycle accident. I was going to go the week before, but my friend got into a motorcycle wreck. So I went and visited him in the hospital. Then I went back on and watched that weekend. And, you know, because I was, it was, if you've ever called Backdoor Comedy, it's a clean comedy club. Clean comedy club. Linda Stogner. So Linda Stogner and Jan Norton. Yeah. But usually when you would call, you would get Jan because Linda doesn't doesn't do phone and stuff like that so jan takes those reins and she will make you she will she will intimidate you into being clean because she stands up for what she wants this club to be she's very direct she's like you got to be clean and i'm not i'm to know this know that no 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 cuss words no bathroom humor no graphic no sexual yeah and and in her delivery it's like you know if you do this you're done it's a it's a very much like it feels like this is a if you do if you make one mistake it's over and so you, you get really nervous. And one thing Jen resonated with me on the phone is, is like, why don't you come watch this week and just get a gray, get a gauge on it? Because I'd hate for you to do, you know, again, makes you feel like if you cuss, they'll never book you again. And so I went up there, paid the $7, watched the show. And if you're thinking about doing it, I would say go watch some open mics. Just just watch a couple and just just to get in your head to kind of build the ego in your mind, I can do this. Because I think anybody can. A lot of people say I can't do this. Like, well, go go watch open mic. Don't watch. <laughs> don't don't watch. You know, Kathleen Madigan or something like that live and think, yeah, you know, and, and let that intimidate you by how strong they are or how courageous they are on stage. You go to open mic where you can see people that are also struggling with stage fright. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's it it just it makes it feel like if that guy is up there and he's terrified. But he's still doing it. I can do it. Because professionals make it look fearless. The professionals go come up here and they can, you know, high-five everybody and just seem like, you know, they're, they're connected to everybody in the room. But watch that person that's maybe, you know, a step or two ahead of you on the journey. And, okay, he's super nervous, but he's at least giving it a go. And nobody's just out of the box and natural like these TV shows make it seem or Netflix. That just you walk on stage and from the moment you're on stage to the moment you're off, you're, you're getting laughs, applause, and standing ovations. It's, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So in that first time that you decided to finally go up, were, did you prepare material or did you go up with a blank slate? Were you nervous? I was nervous. I would say I was nervous, but also like you would constantly check on the people because at that point in backdoor, I would say you had seven professionals like Paul Verghese would come in from time, Mark Agee, Raj Sharma. That was when Linda kind of let people, their regular weekend performers also go up at open mic. And so you had this mismatch of people and you see, so you would see a few pros, but you, but the majority of people were just starting out. And so you had a, a like a lot of mix of people that are just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. And I had a word document printed out of 20 jokes that I was going to do. And I just threw it in the trash <laughs> just out of nerves and out of, I was like the way people are writing. I'm like, there's no way this is any good. And so I went up there. And I only remember, like, the first line I did, because I don't know what else I did after. Because I had bits about, like, getting my hair cut, things like that. There, there were, 
that were weird but at the same time like it was things that happened to me and things i thought were weird but i don't remember if i got to hit many of them because i i just felt like i was like you know i don't know i don't want to everybody that seems scripted has like real like it's just seemed really you get real self-conscious yeah and I feel like that's a lot. Like even even now, like you talk to professionals, you ask them to maybe you know maybe give them some some feedback on jokes, and that and if you start criticizing the writing, like I don't know if that gets last. Well, oh, it's worked before. Yeah, you know, you immediately super sensitive. Yeah. Everyone is. Like, yeah, you start messing with somebody else's jokes, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, and so I I learned. I was like, okay, I was like, I feel super self conscious throwing this out here to a group of people that could judge me. And so I just went up there bare bones and I got a laugh on the opening line of saying, you know, I feel like I'm up here trying to disarm a bomb and things like that. <laughs> Lord knows that I just basically just set in motion a chain of three years straight of them. <laughs> like I just, I had, just, I basically clipped the wires and activated a bomb that would continuously detonate for every set for the next two and a half to three years of comedy. And I would say, you know, I left there, I called everybody, like, I was, it was so, I would say it was so exhilarating, like, I called everybody, like, oh my god, this is, this is what I want to do, oh my god, this is amazing. So you caught the, you caught the buzz, you kind of got the Ooh. adrenaline going. Okay. And, everybody does, it's, yeah. the, it's, it is the biggest, public speaking is the biggest fear. Yeah, 100%, and like you said, because of all the reasons, people are judging you, they're staring at you, they're, mm. you're the center of attention, you know. It can be terrifying, and after you do it for the first time, it's exhilarating. It really is. I suggest everyone try it. If you've ever wanted to try comedy, just try it once. You're probably going to suck. <laughs> You'll have fun. It's a good time. You won't remember. Like, yeah. To me, it's just because you're in such a fight-or-flight panic. Like I said, I don't remember because it's. I feel like my panic shut off because the lights are bright. Yes. For me, that was the saving grace. When I got up here and the lights were blinding me, I was like, it's like a little bubble. Yeah. Like, I can't see anyone. It's fine. I'm in a safe place. And then my biggest fear is a heckler. And then finally it happened. I was just like, oh, well, that's what that's like. You know? Yeah. So my biggest fear is going over the light. And so that's why I hated it because I would look into the lights like, oh, my God, am I going to miss the light? It yeah. tells me to get off. Because that's, that's one of the things you don't want to break. You don't want to go past the light, people. Yeah. Just don't do that. Well, it's just the biggest sign of disrespect is that you, you see a light and you just continue to go on even though you're off just because you feel like you need more time. It's just one of those things where if you if you go under light, no one's ever complained, hey, you did way too short. Unless you're at a corporate event that's requiring you to do that, you know, or if you get off 20 minutes early. Like, <laughs> like if it's under five minutes, no one's going. And if you're a headliner and you do 42 and it's going great, no one's going to say, hey, man, where's that other three minutes? You yeah. Know, they're they're going to be picked. Checks are going to be picked up. The staff may even like it because like, oh, my God, we actually can get out of here. Or hate it because we time that out in our heads and you're sitting there going, holy crap, he's done. My checks weren't dropped. So, But if it's only a couple minutes, it's not yeah. a big deal. When it's 15 to 20 yeah. minutes like some comedians have done. Oh, that's rough. But mm -hmm. it's also going over the light, like you said. That's a huge thing. Like, don't do that. That's disrespectful to the club and everyone's time. And you're not that special. Well, it's also a comedy show is designed that halfway through the headliner set, checks are put down, picked up. So usually checks are dropped, I would say, about 20 minutes before show end. That's correct. 
you know, at that point, by going an extra 20 minutes now, that's 20 minutes of time that the club could have been selling more drinks, they could have been getting more tips. And but now they're here 20 minutes, not getting basically unpaid, just waiting for you. You know, there are people that do that. And and I understand in some of their some of their journeys, they have gotten to a right to where they are a sold out show for seven shows on a weekend from Thursday to Sunday. But it's just to me, it just feels like we already know who you are. Why do you feel the need to talk longer? Are you getting paid more? Are you getting paid more by the minute? Or are you just, is there something that's not satisfied in you that you just feel that you have to assert yourself and show, oh, I'm, I'm worth 20 more minutes of your time? Yeah. And also it's disrespectful to the headliner because a feature doesn't need to do 45 minutes. Yes. That's way too long. You come in, do your 20 or whatever it is and get out of there. You know what yeah. I mean? And let the headliner go over if they want to. And some will. Yeah. And I have that same fear because once I can kind of time out, like I'm at four minutes, you know what I mean, in my head, and I mm-hmm. see a clock usually, or I know we're getting there because I've timed out my jokes, I'll be like, should I wind down? And then it does get a little bit nerve-wracking because you always want to end with that big joke too. You yeah. know what I mean? And so not to hit that, it's such a bummer whenever you go up. So. Yeah. Here, you guys have a countdown timer that you show in the back of the room. So it, it gets stressful because it's like you'll see one minute <laughs> and it's like you'll be starting your last bit. But I've also learned it's like as long as you're starting your last bit at that point, you're not like continuing another bit. It, you finish that bit and say there's like five seconds. Then you start another bit. That's to me, that's the start of disrespect. Absolutely. Like yeah. when when you know you could have just closed right there, but you want to throw one more in. Or if you start at a minute and it runs down to zero while you're closing out, don't rush unless it's like a 10-minute bit. I would say if it's like a two-minute bit and you're at you know, 30 seconds in and the show's zero on the clock, finish that next 90 seconds and get off on a big laugh. But if this is a 10-minute bit and you start it at one minute left, you know better. You know, you know at that point how long this bit was going to take, and you see how much time's on the clock. I agree with you. It's totally disrespectful. What was it like the first time that you hosted a show when you finally got that gig? <laughs> I would say at that point I was beaten down. So I told you after the first set, I was unequivocally the worst comic in the city. <laughs> I, but I would, I understood that, and I would just go last. There is a couple of open mics where literally people saw my name early and skip me because they were afraid oh, that wow. I would walk the room. What? They were afraid you would walk the room with your comedy? Mm-hmm. Like, was it, it was just was about it? That would it walk just, I would just say it's a lot of stage fright. Like, I had a lot of uncomfortable stage fright issues, and so a lot of my jokes wouldn't get the response I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would fidget. I'd be nervous. You know, I'd panic and stuff like that. And things just would not come out cleanly because I was always in my head just trying – even with one-on-one conversations, like it's so hard for me to to go back and forth because I don't know when to when <laughs> when to when to put my side in and how long should it be. And because I'm thinking about that, I've totally missed what you've told me. And I'm like, ah, oh, what did they? You know, trying to kind of juggle all this in my brain. When you're in stand-up, there's a long time period of time, and it varies from comic to comic. It's just a long period of what I like to call the old school Rolodex, and it's just spinning. And it's just like, okay, what do I want to do? And you're, right. Because you have this multitask going on of while you're talking to this room of, okay, what's next? You have the set in your mind, okay, what's going to be the next bit? And some people have it trained down to a science that they're going to do. If they do this joke, then, you know, the next one is going to be this one. And when you do that, that's fine. But when you start doing it for guest spots or competitions and things like that, 
there's a panic that sets in because now your ego is at stake. You want to show these people, oh, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. You know, and so we used to have a contest here called the FCIT, mm-hmm. which it may come back. The first year we did it, that was when I broke out. But before then, literally, I, I was just the worst. And I and, <laughs> and it's at some point, I just sunk to the to acceptance in that phase. Because a lot of times you don't want to accept Oh, that's rough. What did that feel like when you were... I was just like... Because you've already got the stage fright going on. Yeah. You, you, like, and so on top of that, just thinking you were the worst. Yeah. I was just like, you, you, just, you just take a drink and say, okay, I'm the worst. What are you going to do now? I made a decision in my head. It's like, okay. Because at that point also, when you admit that, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, Netflix special, comedy album, Comedy Central, not my future. What are your goals now? And so my goal in 2007, 2008 was like, I want to be good enough that I can watch my video clip because I had a video clip from 2007. It's on my old YouTube. And I was excited because it's like, all right, I can show my family. I was going to show my dad's side. My dad's seen me do stand up maybe two times in my life. And so I was like, okay, I've got this video. I'm going to show my family. And then when I pulled it up and watched it, oh no, I got so self-conscious. I was like, oh, can't pull it up. As like I just told them, I was like, oh, I can't get it here. <laughs> oh no! And so I just was, I was ashamed of it. I, I just basically, you know, was like, okay, I guess, you know, how are we gonna get better? We just got to do open mics. And so I would go at every open mic that I could. Possibly, and also, my life was crumbling at that point. Like I had been fired. I had to move back home with my family because I didn't couldn't support myself. Then my mother got into a similar situation, so we had to live together for about three years. It was a lot of I don't want to go home. So what mics are out here that 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 I can do while I struggle through life? And yeah. So I would do every open mic every night of the week, and so I would I would just sit there and work, and I would. I started to make little goals for myself. Like I was like, okay, let's work on the fidget. So it'd be like, okay, I want to try to stand in one spot for one minute of my three minute set. And so I would practice that and I just would practice little things and get little goals like, okay, now I want to be able to make eye contact with the crowd. I want to be able to look out because I would look at the ground a lot. And so I would constantly work on those things and just little things like that. And then at first, it wasn't called the FCIT, I think, the first year. I think it was FCI. It was like Funniest Comic in Dallas. The first year of the contest was wild because I think the first year Sean just said, anybody that, that signs up is entered and we're just going to do this. Because <laughs> it literally lasted. I would say it started in December of 08 and we didn't crown a champion until sometime in like December 09. Oh, like, wow. It was it was a very long contest. It was like I would say it was like seven or eight months because we started it and... And, and in a lot of ways, that's a bringer show too, right? Yes, it was. So, it was like I said, it was huge. Yeah, it was a huge thing. Paul won it that year. I think it was no contest. He was one of the top three comics, like him, Aryan Poor, Dave Little, Linda Stogner. They're mm. they're like the top. And so my contest was actually the year Ob- or the day Obama got, uh, I guess, sworn in. <laughs> so it was like one twenty oh nine. Yeah, so it was like the oh eight election, and it bled over two thousand nine. So. I got my contest date probably in, like, I think we all signed up in, like, September, October. And we all got our dates, and Sean got me January 20th, 09. And so from November to then, I practiced the same set verbatim everywhere I went. And I would do 10 to 12 mics a week. And I would just do that same five minutes over and over and over. And doing that, I think... 
got me to the point where I stopped caring. Like, mm. at some point, I just got beaten down. Like, I was just, again, like I said, when I just realized that you're the worst comic this scene has right now. Yeah. If you want that to change, you, you'll have to do something about it. And so I just kept hammering that set. And then when I came to that first Funniest Comic contest, you know, I could feel like I'd, I'd done tons of guest spots. I've done, like, 20 guest spots at Hyenas and improv here i've done a couple and they have all this to me was like the hardest stage for me i don't know if it's just because it's so vertical or if because it's the improv and you think okay i've got you know i've got to impress the improv if i can get work here that's going to open me up for improvs everywhere it just became again because you start thinking about the stakes and the, and the outcome and already in your head like have expectations of how this is going to go and so i was just up here and i literally walked on stage and I had the same stage fright panic and things that I had always had and I just in my head like I just was frustrated because it was just like at, at that point everything was just not working I had just completely absolutely never never had a good set and I was like you want to change something you know do it you know just don't because I'm I'm a coward and that's one of my biggest bugaboos in life is that I'm always hesitant I always kind of I don't jump in the pool. I, I kind of slowly <laughs> waited. From that night, I cut loose, and I advanced to the semifinal round of the FCIT for the first year. And I was I came out of nowhere to basically... They stopped counting the votes because it was just me and Sean Arredondo. Oh, wow. Because it was written. At that point, they had a written tabulation. So they had to come back and get your written tabulation and, like... Paul comes back and tells me, show, he's like, it's not even close. And I was like, I was just breathing heavy. It, I was like, and everybody, from there, people started putting me on shows. But I still did 8 to 10 open mics a week. I was like, okay, we well, still got to work at this. So you put in all that work at that time mm -hmm. and changed it around. And I was going to say, you're so confident on stage. I would never think that you would have an issue. Do you even have the stage fright anymore? Or a little you... bit. Like, it... it I'm in a contest now at another comedy club, and there's, there are times where I feel like, okay, I'm not getting them. I've also, I think a lot of it also helps the self-forgiveness. So there's a lot of young comics that take take it on the chin that feel like I'm, I should be better than this. I'm like, in a way, you, we all feel that way. But you also have to forgive yourself because stand-up's a moment in time. You can't, you can't edit out stand-up like you could a video. Like video, people that do video comedy can retake and retake and reshoot and patch together or do things like that. This is a one-time moment in a live audience that you just can't get back and you just take that lesson with you and just forgive yourself, hey, this is my first contest, you know what? I learned that, you know, this time, you know, advancing, you know, that sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're a stickler for the rules that maybe, because I've been put on improv corporate shows a long time and some of those have been some of the worst sets of my life <laughs> i i love jessica but there were some shows that they, they just threw curveballs at you and it, it just completely i in my i got like in my head just like this comic and i was like you know i and i totally was rough and like aaron arnpour was also on one of those shows and like he said literally he was working for a company he's like the company asked me to do a show he's like you were great the other comics sucked i was like, I was like <laughs> oh, oh that's my show i was like i remember that <laughs> hey everyone it's just stuck jumping in to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today if you dig it please head over to our website at improvtx.com where you can check out our calendar for all the upcoming shows in addison arlington houston and san antonio and don't forget to follow our social media all links in the description and with that 
that, back to the podcast. But a lot of people have given me advice. Like, they've seen me relentlessly working. And some people, you know, also inspired me by also, you know, borderline bullying and and challenging me and things like that to, to be better. And I just kind of, I've been a bully to myself because I'm an introvert and people bully me my whole life. So it's kind of how I roll. And so I try to coach people the same way as Somebody that's kind of at that phase of a veteran comic and people ask advice. I'm like, but you also, you know, I do some performance tips and things like that. It's like, you know, you got to be looser. Some people, they have the same formula for every single line. It's every joke sounds exactly like the next one. I'm like, you got to, at some point people get tired that you're going to know how you sound. And it just doesn't become a challenge where they tune you up. It becomes a speech. And it's not because the jokes aren't funny. It's because the way you tell them is exactly the same way you've told the last 30. And so at third joke 31, people are just kind of, it's just, if you keep hearing the same thing, people are going to going to just get a comfort level and tune out. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about my set and I'm like, holy <laughs> like, I got to change some stuff up right well, now. Aaron Arnport gave me that nugget. I did a comedy show with him. I think it was a benefit for Marcy, who I believe is on one of the chairs in their table here. She used to come to the Addison Improv regularly. She was a fan of all of ours and she sadly passed away. And I think I was doing the weekend with him here with Polly Shore. And he literally told me, he's like, you know, some of the things you do are just so you have just the same rhythm that you kind of lose steam because everybody hears you. Yeah, that's kind of scary, man. You're giving such good advice just by going through your story. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's it sounds like it was a long learning process. It was. And it's one of those things also where it's like people, you know, always ask, you know, like, they feel like there's a shortcut or if there's something that that's not being told to them. And I'm like, it's just work. I listened to a comedy podcast from overseas called The Comedian's Comedian, which is a fantastic podcast. It's kind of, I know it's a little bit niche British comedy, but it's interesting to hear different concepts of how people do things. Some of the concepts I've learned from there was a comic who was like, you know, video yourself, but only, you know, but don't video yourself all the time. Video yourself once every three to six months. And he's like, because... You're in a unique position to know how you're feeling in a specific moment. And you can see that from an audience member, like on the video. You can So if you're nervous, if you think, oh man, I was super nervous doing this joke, you can look at the monitor or the camera screen and say, that's what I look like when I am peak nervous. You can see that. And like, I, I learned what I look like. And I learned, you know, when those feelings come up to, you know, to kind of move away from that, to not let those get to me. So you're pretty much constantly in your head questioning things oh yeah but that also kind of goes into your comedy you're very observational humor Mm -hmm. and i like that and you have storytelling jokes you know it's never one-liners or anything like that it's part of a not a long story usually but like when you're special you talk about getting pulled over by the cop and acting like you're deaf which Mm -hmm. i'm not going to say anything more because it's hysterical and people need to go listen to it but like it's a great story is that true part of it is so the (laughs) I did, used to do it the honest way, which is I know how to say I am deaf, which is hearing closed. Mm-hmm. And and I did that, and the cop, like, literally, I, I literally was getting away with it, like, a panic and everything. Like, he was panicking because he didn't know how to communicate with me. I didn't know how to, you know. And I was like, I just can't give this away. And then when he said, he was about, when I'm about to leave, I was like, you have a good night. He goes, you too. And then that's when he, like, oh, no. it's like, I was like, please, my mom is, you know, just just up the road so this is right before i like hit rock bottom yeah and my mom lived it was in Euless, and my mom lived two freeway exits up in Euless. so she came and got me and he was like you know about to take me to jail and i was like oh god 
Is that when you got the DUI? No, the DUI came before I started stand-up. The DUI is kind of the impetus of, like, when I started stand-up. Like, I yeah. had couldn't I had a breathalyzer in my car, and I learned ways around breathalyzing and stuff. That, <laughs> well, I just learned that how to pace myself. Like, mm-hmm. you could have one drink an hour, and it would be diluted by the time you got to the breathalyzer. So you still could have some drinks when you went out? Because that's my problem, is I like to drink when I go out mm-hmm. and do, like, open mics and stuff like that. Or even go on stage, I like to have one drink. Because there's some comedians who want to go on completely sober. Yeah. And then there's some that like to have a little lubrication. You seem like you're usually sober on stage. Um, I can go either way. I would say I think you have to be yourself. And by being yourself, you also have to understand it's a job. Like, Paul Verghese told me that, like, I would say my first six months in a comedy, we were at open mic and somebody was acting outrageous. And Paul pulled me aside. He's like, you're at a job. You can drink at this job. That's one of the perks. But you're still at the job. You know, you're still at the office. This is the water cooler. If you are doing things, you know, that, that will get you talked about, then you're, you're putting yourself in danger. This isn't, I understand that we were at a bar on a Tuesday and we're drinking, but it's still the office. And so I've always kind of adhered to that. Like, you know, there's always the kind of the behavior of treat people with the same respect that I'd want and things like that, and not to try to try to be romantically or physically involved with other comics and things yeah. like that. But if it happens naturally, cool. Like if you're just talking with somebody and you vibe and you end up going out, that's great. But not to just immediately, like, hey. It's etiquette. Yeah. It's all etiquette, man. Yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of people don't understand that. There's a great Ralphie May, how do you do this, about etiquette, and he talks about all that. The big thing is, like, don't date anyone who works at the comedy club, too, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the people want to f*** the servers. You know what I mean? And so don't do that. That's a big thing, too. So I got to ask you what your writing process is like. Do you write it out freehand? Do you type it out? Is it all in your head? It's 90% in my head. I don't write jokes. I write main ideas. I would have brought my notebook if I would have shown you, but it's very much like a squared off. Like I write four jokes to a page, but I just write what the subject matter is and kind of the main idea of the joke, and then I form around it because I was kind of influenced by a lot of old comics that I would work with that would always say things the same way the same time. And they would say things like, go with me on this. And I would look around the room like, why are we saying go with me on this? If mm. Nobody, nobody's like odd. Nobody is like, and so I never wanted to be the comic that just because this is how I wrote it, this is how I've got to say it. And so I just, I have a really good memory. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I can free form an idea. And when I look at that idea, like, oh, that's what I meant. Or if it's not what I, if I can't remember it, oh, I can make something else out of this. Really? So you just hold on to it pretty mm-hmm. much. Wow, that sounds so complicated to me. I'm ADHD, so well, I got to write it out immediately. Some people like write it out, but I just found myself rewriting over and over again. It's like, oh, instead of saying this, I'll say, yeah, and I'll rewrite it, and I'm like, this is too much work. Yeah, I was like, I'm a good memory. You know what I can do? I can write just name the topic, how we feel about it, and then we can form a joke out of that. Yeah, and and so I've always tried to do that. Like I just try to I just try to freeform it because I never want to be like beholden to doing my set one way. I want to be able to if I had to let's start with the deaf joke and roll from there. I don't want to have to say okay, well now that we've talked about the you know some stuff about drinking, let's now we have to do the deaf joke. I want to be fluid. I want to not one set to sound like the other. Like I want to be able to do multiple sets. And at one show, one feature weekend, I did four or five different features. Oh, wow. Like oh, I would just wow. like, I just went through all my material and just kind of formed it around. Cause I was like, I just want to know if I can. That's talent. That takes a lot of, I don't, like you said, you have a great memory, but that just sounds so difficult, but it's very impressive. Like I had a set list and I was like, okay, 
because I just never wanted to be like, let me just do one set list. Yeah, I was wondering if you changed it up because I've never seen you do. I've seen the jokes a couple of times, like the, the, you know, like the segments, mm-hmm. but I've noticed that you always switch it up every time you go through. Because I was watching some videos, I was like, that's a different lineup than he did before. So that's crazy. You've given so much good advice already for comics. But what would be like your main advice for up and coming comics who are just starting out or people want to try it out? Just constantly go up. Like there's no secret sauce. There's no magic formula. Everybody gets different skills at certain times. Some people have an initial skill of having 80 friends. And so, you know what? Those guys will get shows possibly for you who has two friends who, you know, but does every single open mic. There's no right path. And so I feel like a lot of times... Because comedy is is a lot of ego. Everybody feels that their way of doing it is the way to do it. And so when they see somebody else not doing it their way, but getting things that they would want, like the schadenfreude and things like that, that you feel because, oh, he got (laughs) got that because of 80 friends. Yeah. You know how much money a club makes off of 80 people? Why would they not? Why would a comedy club not take... 80 drink sales for somebody to do five minutes yep that's that's a huge trade-off and it, it does it matters so that's why social media following in which you have a decent social media following uh but like that makes a difference it mm-hmm. really does if you want to get booked get your social media going and they, they will book you i just feel like there's so many different ways of getting booked like it doesn't have to be one way you don't have to just work on all of those things but also don't neglect you know, don't be like, well, I'm only going to work on social media and TikToks, but I'm not going to do open mics. Yeah. You still got to do open mics. Well, you won't have the talent. That's yeah. the problem. We have a lot of YouTubers who come through or TikTok stars who come through and it's like open mic, but it, they're headlining. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, you didn't put in the time. Mm-hmm. You didn't put in 16 years of, you know, thinking you were the worst yeah. comedian in the city and then came back from that. You know, it's a Rocky yeah. story almost, dude. I love it. So. But it's just the hint of like, to me, it's like, well, I'm I'm here at the open mics. There's a reason I'm at open mics. It's because this is how I got better. And so I keep getting better. I was like, because it's never done. Like a joke's never finished. Someone could say something to me today and all of a sudden now I'll have to add that to the deaf, again, for the deaf DUI example. Oh, someone else said something about sign language that I've, you know, Oh, I could probably roll that in. Your tags are amazing, by the way. Listening to your special today, like, I I kept appreciating every single one. And, like, when I thought you'd be done with a joke, you would hit it again. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I was really enjoying. I thought was amazing. I just want to let you know that. Thank you. It's so cool. It's it's so hard with that, too, because it's like now I I listen to that CD, and I'm like, I've got more tags for each of these jokes. And it's like, (laughs) ah. Or if you miss a tag, like, oh, I didn't say that tag, and... What was the process of wanting to release the album like? You know, did you decide, all right, I've got all this material and I want to... I just, I wanted to have something physical to remember, you know, like, okay, so, because comedy's not forever. No one retires as a comedian. Comedy retires you. And you don't know when it's going to happen. For some people, it's five years. For people like Eddie Murphy and Jerry Seinfeld, you know, those people that are fortunate enough to live a whole lifetime. Some people, you know, tragically, like, you know, Richard Pryor and Bill Hicks and stuff, you know, they're retired because of the side effects of, of going through those thoughts and writing. And so that's always been my thing is comedy retires you. It's not something you have, you have no control over your comedy career until you have one. You know, Ralph Barbosa does the same thing. Like, I saw Ralph at so many open mics, and it's like, you, the people you see at open mics, like, oh my gosh, those are the people that are actually, you know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's not the Ralph Barbosa, you know, success story of, you know, getting festivals and TV and things like that, but there's personal success and being able to, to command a room for 30 minutes on a level that's, that, that, you know, is on par with 
you know, a Paul or Ralph or anybody like that. Or like, yourself, even. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, listening to that album, I loved it because the laughs were genuine. And then there were some times where I could hear, like, a specific funny laugh or, like, a unique laugh. And I'm like, he's killing that guy right now. Like, mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what the energy was like in the room, but it comes through on the special so well just through the audio. Where do you want to see yourself in the next five years? I just want to see myself, like, still doing stand-up. Like, I enjoy it. You know, there's some personal life turmoil and stuff that I've kind of gone through. I'm not really good with upheaval when things when things get shaky and stuff. I kind of shut down. And so, like, you know, I, I stopped doing social media. I stopped emailing bookers and stuff. But I just want to continue to grow as a comic. And, you know, part of that was just releasing an album that is four different feature sets rolled into one and just kind of like... That was four sets into one? You mm -hmm. edited that down? Oh, that's crazy. Travis Wright does an amazing job with that. Like, I, I give him all the credit in the world because, you know, I, I had this vision because it's like I wanted... I'd never wanted to do it as a headliner because as a headliner, the feeling you have is it's good, but you can... F it feels like the air is being let out of the balloon. Like, everybody knows you're the guy, so they're here to see you, and now... You have all the distractions in the world, and you have one shot to do this. As a feature, the host has done everything for you. He's gotten the crowd silent and attentive. All you have to do is come up here and just do your best and, and just build, and it just the energy escalates. And so I, I just want, I always want to do it from the feature spot because this is, this is where I love to live. This is my favorite. Yeah. And so I did that, and then I kind of we edited it to, to one clip. So I was like, some of that's from Friday, some of it's from late Friday, some from early Saturday, some from late Saturday. It and, works, though. It's, it's yeah. great. And like I said, I, I wanted to listen to it again. I had so much fun. And like I said, laughing out loud in the middle of the night, walking my dog at five in the morning. I was like, right on. So congratulations on it. It's Thank so you. great. Let's talk about the podcast real quick. The mm -hmm. Sum of All Fears. Where did this idea come from? You've done over 100 episodes almost? I did 100 episodes. I Again, because of emotional turmoil and everything, I've kind of put it on hiatus. But it's it was basically, I wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't want to do a comedy podcast. Because I felt like the Joe Rogan experience, you know, Kill Tony and all these other comedy podcasts, it's like they have trillions of listeners. You're a small fish in an infinitely large pond and i was like i wanted to try to do something different i was like let me be something that's i'm my own fish in my own pond like it's nobody else's and i started looking for like fun you know fear i was like you know because one of the fun conversations i've always had with other people is like when topic comes up like what are you afraid of and it's something ridiculous you know it's like <laughs> what you're how did you and it's usually like an interesting story behind it of okay like Mikey B, we, it's kind of one of his conversations. Like he's, he doesn't eat beans because he was terrified of beans because <laughs> he, he had somebody force him to eat beans and like oh, traumatized wow. him. And so he never, he's never eaten beans since. And they, they can make him gag and stuff because it's just that fear of being force-fed. And I'm the same way with shrimp because I had ordered fried shrimp one time and it wasn't what I expected. Ew. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat them. My mom like got upset with me and <laughs> it was a real ordeal. Yeah. And it was at a restaurant, Gallagher's, which was, I believe, based off the comedian Gallagher in the yeah. 80s. And so another, like, reference to comedy is tragedy plus time. It's that time that I ate at a comedian's restaurant and didn't like the food <laughs> and was traumatized. It was meant to be. So, yeah, the podcast, you do talk about people's fears. I was on the podcast, and it was it was a little bit hard to to do the podcast because I had to be very vulnerable, and I'm not used mm -hmm. to that. So it was one of those things where... I was like, this is really unique and interesting because we talked about my history and everything leading up to it. And then you allowed me to talk about my biggest fear. Mm -hmm. And so 
I mean, 100 episodes, it's over 100 episodes, right? Mm-hmm. People got to go listen to it. They really do. And you're going to get back to it. You haven't yes. done it since October, right? Yes. I, I think December. I think I have, I'm at 107, so it'll be November, December, because okay. it's like once, I did one a week. And so you're going to get it back up yeah. and going? Very nice. Very I just nice. done a lot of traveling as a comedian this year, and so it was like, oh, this is really hard to... That's the way to do it, though. That's yeah. what you want. So five-year plan, you said you still want to be a comedian. Do, do you want to be traveling? Is that what you hope for? Part of it, yes. But again, with my job situation, I don't know how that will work out. And so I'm just, you know, part of this, like, release in the city, see what happens. You know, it's gotten some views on YouTube, and so I'm excited for that. And just enjoy, you know, kind of get back to life just kind of you know get through the upheaval of change and just kind of like okay let's get back to consistency and doing stand-up doing open mics and having all these different things like i've got technology now trying to help you know trying to beat game the system of stand-up and have a graphing things for all kinds of different comedy stuff like i've got a scoring system now that i'm going to try to employ wait what so like as you do jokes and like switch them up you're going to give yourself points or something? Set, yeah, I have a set scoring system. So oh, I can, wow. And so I've, I've invented that, and so I'm going to play with that and see how, how accurate it is. Because my goal this year, my New Year's resolution, was to have a new 45. That's a lot of work. <laughs> and so, and so it's, I have a checklist that of, you know, I'm just going to take the average of the joke. Like, it could go a little bit longer. Could Because you'll never, for people out there, also, like my best friend, she is a comic as well. And she, like, always is like, I'll never know what seven is. It's like, Technically, you won't. You you know you have it, but you don't know what three jokes are going to equal seven minutes. It'll, right. Because it could, it could be a great room, and now your seven gets shrunk down to six because there's a minute of just hard laughs of waiting. Just the time of waiting, the 10 to 15 seconds per each joke takes 45 to a minute out of your set that you would have done. On the flip side, if it's so bad, going so badly, you get nervous, you start to rush, you start to ham, you really start to roll through all these different punchlines, and now your seven minutes has shrunk down to four and a half. Yeah. You're still looking for the light, like, oh my God, I've done seven. (laughs) Where am I going to go? Yeah. Oh, that's panic written right there. Oh, that doesn't feel good. Well, I appreciate you being on. Let's do the socials real quick. I think everything's at Ryan Perio, right? Yep. That's the unique, having a good, unique last name runs is very beneficial in the social media game and then ryanperio.com also you yes. have a website so you can go check that out uh the sum of all fears is the podcast you need to go listen to it subscribe on everything some of all fears.podbean.com is the main yes. website correct and ryan thank you so much for being here and talking to me I absolutely it. thanks for thank having you. me thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you and uh everyone out there please support local comedy in any way shape or form that you can with that said we will see you on the next one And there it is. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please head over to ImprovTX.com to check out all our upcoming shows at the Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio clubs. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy the other podcasts on the ImprovTX Comedy Network. We have The Act Out. From open mics to the big stage, comedians tell us the story they've made, where I talk to comedians from all over and chat about their journey this far. Also, check out the Black Dog Retro Arcade podcast. Straight from the arcade, we talk about how our favorite games were made. That's right, we're talking all that video game goodness. And finally, we have Quackin' Up, a storytelling podcast where we pick suggestions from a hat and tell stories based upon them. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Please check out our social media, all links in the description. And with that, we'll see you on the next one.